This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get, get it, it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Hey, Raider Nation, it's time for Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Just search Silver and Black today. We certainly appreciate that. Welcome back, everybody. Feeling good still after Sunday's big win over the Chargers, I'm sure. Joining me, as always, here on the podcast is my co-host, my partner in crime. That is Mr. Mo Moten. He is the senior NFL, national NFL writer, that is, for Bleacher Report. You can catch him up there, as well as the Raiders columnist over at sportsnot.com. So if you're not reading him, go there as well. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Uh, Mo, uh, listen, you've had time to watch the game. You're busy on Sundays covering the entire NFL. Give me your initial impressions. Uh, I was impressed with the win overall after a small and short kind of disappointing start on offense. The Raiders put it together there. But most importantly, I was, uh, I guess, pleasantly surprised by the way that defense started off and held throughout the game. Out in the streets say, let your praise be as loud as your criticism. (laughs) I would like to dedicate this episode to the breakout of Chandler Jones. Double nickel, baby. Who's who's over the past two weeks, who has hopped off the milk carton and back on the football field <laughs> and added some push to the Raiders' pass rush that helped them win that game against the Chargers. If you look at it, that game from start to finish, Justin Herbert really couldn't get settled in the pocket. He was constantly moving around. Now, he's good throwing the football on the move, but when you have to constantly do that, it can cause some issues, and the Raiders are able to take advantage of that. Yeah, and Mo, we're going to get into specifics around offense and defense throughout the show, by the way. 
What I want to do now, though, is talk about this Raiders team in general. Mo, they come off a three-game winning streak on a short week. They're going to Los Angeles to play the Rams, who continue to sputter due to injuries. Matthew Stafford gone for the season as well. So this team seems to be ready to pack it in. And like we talked about with the Raiders early in the season, you don't tank on purpose, but you certainly can start to hold guys back uh, who need health uh, adjustments or need to get healthy. And that's what the Rams are doing. So the Raiders, by no means are they assured of a win. But if you look at this team, how dangerous are they? The way the Raiders are playing now is inspired. They seem to be playing for one another. They seem to be playing for their coach, for their quarterback. You name it, the players who were silent earlier in the year, like Chandler Jones, we mentioned at the top of the show, they're coming along. The young defensive backs are playing better. Deron Harmon is the leader back there, the captain. How dangerous is this team? And should, we talked about it last week, not saying the P word, should Raider fans feel excited about the chance that you predicted they're still going to go 10 and 7? Uh, Raider fans who follow me on Twitter are familiar <laughs> with this phrase. 10 and 7 is still mathematically possible. I'm yes. just saying. Um, a lot of Raider fans gave me crap when the Raiders started off 2 and 7. So every time the Raiders win a game from here until they're mathematically uneligible to win 10 games, I'm going to use that line. But I think Raiders fans should be absolutely um, not satisfied, but excited because we went from fire Josh McDaniels today, right now, to maybe this could work out. <laughs> Maybe we can. <laughs> so, I, I tune into a lot of these press conferences. Just a side tangent. I tune a lot into every Raiders press conference, especially on Mondays. And while the Raiders are two and seven, of course, it was every comment: fire Josh McDaniels, fire him now, fire this person, fire that person, bench this. Person. Let's move on. Let's draft the quarterback now. You go into the press conference chat rooms and it's very quiet. Then it's like, oh, maybe we should extend Jerry Tillery. Maybe we should extend this player. Maybe we should extend that player. So there's clearly some excitement within the fan base, and rightfully so. Still a lot of work to be done to dig themselves out of the hole they put themselves in. But when you look ahead and you mention the Rams, uh, really quick, not a trap game. When you're 5-7 five and seven out of 500, there are no trap games on this game. Let's just put that out there. I don't care if John Wolfer's the quarterback. I don't care if Denzel Washington's the quarterback. Doesn't matter. When you're five and seven, there are no trap games. You just take it one game at a time. You try to get yourself back into the playoff picture, which Raiders are trying to do. But I would be excited coming into the uh, another one of the Raiders' homes. I should say one of the Raiders' homes in, in the NFL and going to Los Angeles to face the Rams when they have a backup quarterback on the center. Now, of course, Mo, as you mentioned, if, if you want to talk, and, and, and a lot of people say – as you sort of said just there, too, it might be premature to talk about playoffs. But the reality is they're the 10th seed right now in the playoffs. They're a game behind the Chargers because they now have a better interdivision in the AFC West. They're 3-2. and two, The Chargers are 2-3. and three. Uh, But still, even if the Raiders win out, which could happen, the schedule, again, there's no givens in the NFL, but they certainly have a better schedule. When you look at San Francisco, lost another quarterback. You look at this Rams team. The only team that seems to be one that really looks like an uphill, uphill battle is against the Chiefs the last week of the season, so you never know what can happen. But you look at help that the Raiders would need, and you look at the schedules of the other AFC teams. The New York Jets, who have a tiebreaker with the Raiders in the AFC, uh, have a tough schedule, including Miami, Buffalo, some other teams. All the teams ahead of the Raiders in the playoff race have really tough matchups, more difficult to them. 
But all the Raiders can do, and this is what I hear a lot of fans, and I'm encouraged by that, is listen, one game at a time, just keep winning, and you can't worry about the rest of the stuff until maybe, just maybe, you get to that last game of the season and you win and you're in. You know what this feels like, Scott? I'm not going to say the P word, but this feels very similar to last year. Last year, absolutely. When the Raiders went on that late season run and they were waiting to see if Darren Waller would come back. A lot of fans are asking me, are Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro going to come back for that Thursday game? I will say this. If Josh McDaniels is not going to give you an answer, a straight answer, you're not going to get a straight answer from me because they in that building know. But from what I hear from Josh McDaniels on Monday, it doesn't sound like, this is not a report, but it doesn't right. sound like Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are going to play because he did mention it's a short turnaround, yep. playing a game on Sunday to playing a game on Thursday. Everything is pretty much condensed. You're not going through full a full week of practices. You're basically going through walkthroughs. So I doubt Hunter Renfro and Waller play, but that's not a report. That's just my estimated guess. Well, and not only that, Mo, but look, they're winning without those guys. Yes, are you better with them if they come back and they can perform? But the reality is you've won three in a row without them. So why rush them back if you can get them to you get them an extra uh, extra few days, by the way, because you get the little mini buy between this Rams and Patriots game. And so why wouldn't you do that? I know fans are very skeptical and down on Darren Waller right now. Not so much Hunter Renfro, but on Darren Waller. And I get that. Uh, but you have to give it time. Now, you look at this this Chargers win. Let's just re- revisit that one time, Mo, because I want to get your impression. Two things stuck out. We talked about Chandler Jones at the top of the uh, of the show where you said he came off the milk carton. Thank goodness, finally, we can put that to bed. Uh, and he performed really well, really set the pace on defense, in my view, for the entire game. Denzel Perryman also, again, third game in a row where he's just been on fire too. But I have to tell you that that, that interior – of the defensive line. You mentioned Jerry Tillery. That interior, we've been talking about that for how long, that they had to, no matter how good the book ends were, even if Jones had been better to start the year in rushing the quarterback, and you have Max Crosby, of course, still a defensive player of the year candidate. We said all along, and I heard a lot of other pundits say too, you got to get the rush up the middle. You got to get the rush up the middle. So you bring in Jerry Tillery, who was really... He wasn't dismissed from the Chargers because he didn't have talent and couldn't play anymore. That was a personality issue. He was not comfortable in that organization, the coaching staff. There was some bad blood there. How big of an acquisition could this Jerry Tillery acquisition be uh, if you if he continues to play like this? They have 11 sacks since he showed up in the center of that defensive line. Mo, this could be one of those those gems, if he's willing to sign, if they're willing to extend him, uh, that that you think about years from now. Absolutely. It's one of those uh, midseason pickups where you pick up a guy from another team who's way for whatever reason, and you're like, okay, I think he he's earned his extended stay beyond current season. I think Jerry Tilly is trending toward that direction. If you watch the, the, the Chargers' first couple of drives, his impact is is clear immediately. He's flushing Justin Herbert outside the pocket. He's forcing Justin Herbert to step up in the pocket, which allowed Chandler Jones to get his sacks in his hurries. I wrote an article on Sports Not Today that Chandler Jones' production isn't coming out of thin air. I know a lot of fans want to look at it as 
he's just playing a lot better. But it's it's a lot, I don't want to say complicated, but it's a lot more complex than that. And you alluded to it is when you have interior pass rushers, that helps your edge rusher guys because now, again, you're, the quarterback is now being flushed outside the pocket. Right. He's being moved off his spot, which allows your outside guys to make plays. So it's not a coincidence that the Raiders claimed Jerry Tilly, I believe, on November 14th. Mm-hmm. And now weeks later, you're seeing Chandler Jones make more plays. I, I, I tweeted a, a stat. Chandler Jones had 13 quarterback pressures between weeks 1 and 11. He has 14 over the last two weeks. <laughs> that coincides with Jerry Tillery getting more plays on the inside. And also, a lot of people are not talking about this, Bilal Nichols has stepped up. He has yes. a tackle for a loss or a quarterback hit in each of the last three games. So with those two guys playing well in the interior, it's not a coincidence that you're getting more production out of Chandler Jones. Absolutely. And and to me, that is one of the things that people get too caught up in edge rushers and they think that they just create. Now, Max Crosby... Yep. Was 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 killing it, right? But imagine how more effective he would have been uh, with these with this guy in the middle and Bilal Nichols playing up to the potential we thought he had in the preseason. And so uh, it's it's remarkable. And that defense is better for it. And you see what's happening. Also, by doing better up front, both on the edge and in the in the middle, you're also giving your defensive backfield a relief, right? You're giving them a little more time. You're giving them the ability to play better. And we've seen that. Talk about, Mo, the, the, the impact of Deron Harmon on this team. And again, you and I are not in the locker room, and I don't even need to be in this case, to not only see the impact he's had as the captain on the field, but the impact he's clearly having off the field. Because these guys, it looks like they're, he is the Pied Piper in that defensive backfield. They're following him, and you're seeing them get better. You're seeing Amik Robertson continue to develop into a good player who's gonna, maybe not a Pro Bowl player ever or a starter completely ever, but he's a good player. And then you see Nate Hobbs come back from the injury and perform well as, uh, as he jumps out there. But Deron Harmon's impact, talk about that and what it means for this team overall this season. His impact is very similar to Casey Hayward last year. I would say mm. Jordan Harmon is more vocal. Uh, Casey Hayward more of a lead-by-example type of guy. But as far as their production is concerned, last year Hayward was able to shut down his side of the field. Jordan Harmon, different type of impact. He's all he. Whenever the ball is loose, he's around the football. Wherever the football is, that's where you'll find Jordan Harmon. Whether it's a pick six or a fumble recovery or just jarring a ball loose to allow his uh, teammates to pick up a fumble. He's the guy around the football, and I think the Raiders' defense has needed that because for years, the Raiders' defense has struggled in advancing the ball, forcing turnovers, and that was always their weakness. No matter what defensive coordinator they had, Raiders always had issues forcing turnovers, and I think Deron Harmon brings that specifically on the back end of that defense. And as you said, it goes hand-in-hand. When your secondary is playing better and your defensive line is playing better, it's complimentary football. So now your, your, your edge rushers can get to the ball faster your your interior guys can get to the ball while your guys are covering the back end and you guys in the back end get more help because now the quarterback has less time to throw the football guys like Chandler Jones uh Max Crosby are forcing the quarterback to throw some errant throws downfield so again works hand-to-hand complimentary football Mo you look at this Raiders team and and yes there's there's still quite the hill to climb and some things have to go their way if they're even to consider uh postseason play but if you're a team that's fighting for a playoff spot, you look at the Raiders' schedule the rest of the way, and they have uh, several of those teams that they're going to be playing, including the Patriots. The Patriots are 6-6, six and six, but they are still right there on the cusp of, of being uh, there, what, two games or a game behind the Jets. Um, and, and 
that that in itself is something for this Raider team to play for. But how dangerous are they, not only for their own chances to make the playoffs, but also to play spoiler, including in that last game against the Chiefs. If this team continues to improve as it has, uh, you're not a team that wants to play the Raiders down the stretch, are you? No, I, I mean, if you look at it, I believe I saw, and I, I looked this up actually myself, they had the second longest current win streak along mm-hmm. with, I believe, along with the Buffalo Bills at three. So, you know, right now they're hot. <laughs> so I don't think any team goes into it thinking, oh, it's just the five, the five and seven Raiders. We got this. They're, 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 not, they're not a tomato can on, on the schedule by any means. So right. sometimes it takes a team to peak at the right time. And after Thanksgiving is the perfect time. If you're a team on the fringe, on the outside of the of the P picture, because I'm not going to say the P word, <laughs> but if you're on the if you're on the outside of the P picture and you're looking inside, you're looking to peak around Thanksgiving. And then if you go on a run, as I said, the Raiders did last year, you can make a lot of things happen because, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, quarterbacks are getting hurt, guys are getting fatigued, injuries are starting to pile up. You don't know who's going to be on the opposing side of the field when you play them. Of course, you're not taking any anybody lightly, but when you're playing good football toward the end of the season, you have that momentum, things can fall in your favor. They could. Uh, and we are going to pick up the discussion in just a minute. We're going to take our first break here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about the defense. I want to delve into what has changed. We talk a little bit about the play up front, of course, and the play in the defensive backfield, Deron Harmon, Nate Hobbs, so on and so forth. But we want to talk a little more about what Patrick Graham may be doing to help that defense do better on the field. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Don't go anywhere, Raider Nation. We're coming right back. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. Let's get defensive, Raider Nation. That's right. We're going to talk about the defense here in this second segment of Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition, December 6, 2022. We hope you had a great weekend, enjoying the Raiders' win, walking into work, strutting, right, Mo? Strutting in with that Raider gear on uh, and enjoying the fact that the Raiders have won three in a row. The only team with more wins, by the way, you mentioned it in the uh, in the last segment, Mo, is the Bengals have won four straight Uh, followed by the Bills and the Raiders with three. So um, that is phenomenal. The Raiders are in good company right now and playing their best football. Go ahead. Really quick, sir, can you believe that? The the Raiders are mentioned in the same sentence when it comes to win streaks as the Bengals and the Bills. Who saw that coming after the Raiders start to the season? Not me, my friend. Not me. I mean, listen, I, I we go back a month ago today. Remember, we were talking about teams are who they are at Thanksgiving, and we're like, this team is just, 
you know, and, and, and off the air, we said, man, they do they win another game? Can they win another game? There's a couple coming up. And, uh, boy, they've turned it around. And, and I think one of the reasons – oh, by the way, before I get into this, do us a favor. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, just subscribe. Turn on the auto-download for us. That's a huge favor. Uh, we will be forever grateful if you do that. If you're watching us on YouTube, thanks. The comments are awesome next to us are always fun. I appreciate it. I love mixing it up with you guys in the comments. So thank you for doing that. Hit the subscription and the notifications bell there. All right, Mo, one of the reasons why this team is playing better, yes, the offense is playing, but the defense, if you look at Patrick Graham's unit, we were talking about, you talked about how everybody wanted to fire Josh McDaniels. Listen, I talked to level-headed Raider fans and listeners of our show who aren't over-emotional fans usually. They don't say fire people, fire people. But when this team was two and seven, they were all saying, listen, I, I think we got to keep Josh McDaniels, but Patrick Graham's got to go. He's got to go. It's not working. It's terrible. This team is just going backward. So they they jettisoned some people off this team, including Jonathan Abram, by the way. And mm-hmm. suddenly things get better. They sign Jerry Tillery. We talked about that in the first segment. They bolster the inside of that line. Bilal Nichols comes along. You see Denzel Perryman playing better at linebacker. Despite all the injuries at defensive back, the cornerbacks are playing better. And, of course, you see Deron Harmon at safety. And even Trayvon Merrig is coming back as well. He's starting to play better after just an awful start to the season. Mo, what if you can look at this from the outside and say, okay, what are you seeing from this defense as a unit. Now, we talked about individual players, but as a unit, what is happening differently here? What is Graham doing schematically or otherwise to get more out of this defense? I thought when the Raiders struggled, his his schemes were a little too vanilla, but I think that comes with being a new coordinator. Not a new coordinator, but being a coordinator of a new team and, and getting your guys all on the same page. You can't do the complex stuff until you get the basics and the fundamentals down, the tackling, mm-hmm. you know, some of that, some of that had to be worked out. But what I did see in the last game, what I liked was the blitzing. And you saw that with Denzel Perryman shooting up the middle uh, that, that caught Justin Herbert off guard a lot of times, allow other players to make plays. So I do like when Patrick Graham, you know, incorporates the blitz because it, it gives, it gives you some disguise and some element of surprise, I should say. So with that, I think you're starting to see a little bit more of Graham's imprint on this defense. It's not as vanilla as it was early in the season when players were still learning the scheme. So I think it's just part of it is also natural progression and players are getting more comfortable under Patrick Graham. Yeah, that's true. Uh, What about the fact, I mean, I know a lot of people, I see a lot of fans on social media during games and they always want to blitz. Now, Patrick Graham, we saw last year, uh, of course, under Gus Bradley, this team never blitzed. Now you see it occasionally, but he doesn't overuse it either. And that's what's remarkable, too, to me is, again, his scheme and what he does and how he switches it up relies on the pressure up the middle and on the edges, and that's what they're getting. Quick note about blitzing. If you have elite cornerbacks on the on the <laughs> perimeter, then you can blitz because then you're you leaving blitz. your cornerbacks one-on-one with their receivers. But right. if you don't have an elite duo on the back end, I know everyone loves Nate Hobbs, but he's he's not an all-pro yet. Really good. Yeah. Really good for a young guy in his second year, but he's not he, – I mean, he's not a shutdown cornerback yet. So if you don't have an elite duo, you, you don't want to blitz too much because then you allow the opposing quarterback to pick your secondary apart. They can pick on some one-on-one matchups that they like that are advantageous to them. 
and basically, you know, knock off your secondary. So unless you have two shutdown guys on the back end, don't expect hyper blitzing. Unless you're playing for a Don Wink Martindale team who's with the Giants now. Yep. Uh, he still blitzes a lot. Sometimes his guys get burnt, but that's 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 just his scheme. That's his per- not personality, but that's how he likes his guys to play on defense. He likes to use – he's probably the highest blitzing defensive coordinator in the league along with Todd Bowles and Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay, going back to the Super Bowl year, had some you know top-notch yes. guys in the secondary. Now back to the Raiders. They don't have that. So Patrick Graham, yes, he has to mix it up. He has to pick and choose when to blitz, and he has to disguise it very well because – Again, when you're playing a quarterback like Justin Herbert or any other uh, quality quarterback, they're able to pick that apart. Even Geno Smith, if you look at his numbers against pressure and against blitz, he's very good against the blitz. So have to be very careful about it, but it's good to see Patrick Graham is using it judiciously and the Raiders are benefiting from it. No question. Up front, too, what, what I like about what Graham's doing, and we saw a lot of it actually against the Chargers, is is the twists and everything, all this misdirection and and the movement that he makes. We saw it with uh, inside-outside play with Max Crosby on that left side as well. And we saw Tillery do it, too, not just pushing up the middle, uh, but where they, where they did some mix-ups on the line. And that seems to really – I mean, listen, the Chargers' offensive line was missing, guys. They weren't great. It doesn't matter, though. You play who you play. But it just seems, to your point about not being so vanilla – I love what I'm seeing up front and how he's mixing it up. He didn't do that earlier in the year. You're absolutely correct. He's got better talent there now, too, so maybe that helped. But talk about that a little bit and what that does to opposing offensive lines, even those that are better than the lowly Chargers offensive line. Yeah, you're confusing guys on what their assignment is. So when you have a guy going crossing, two guys crossing, then now now your offensive line has to communicate with each other who you're passing off who to in a split um, second pass rush line. right and you have you have to make a split second decision so when you have a charges offensive line that's banged up no Rashawn Slater out there they had a rookie left tackle I believe out there who who uh <laughs> Chandler Jones dominated on the edge when you're playing against inexperienced offensive linemen you're and you're pulling off those twists and stunts it's a burden to handle no question uh, linebacker. Let's talk about Denzel Perryman for a minute and what he's meant to this defense. Of course, he had the injury earlier and it came back, made some impact, but wasn't the same kind of player we saw last year. And of course, he's aging. So sometimes you consider that and you think about a player falling off as they age, especially a busy year that he had last year leading the NFL in tackles. But suddenly this this in this run, Denzel Perryman looks like, hey, he went down, he found Ponce de Leon, and he drank from the fountain of youth, and he seems to be playing back uh, as effective as he was last year in this stretch. His leadership, too, and what he means in that scheme at that position. Yeah, I mean, he's he's always been a pretty good linebacker. I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't trust him in coverage, but he's always brought that <laughs> fire and passion uh, as a downhill, two-down thumper. So, you know, he he's basically showing – the pro bowl player he was last year. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of him staying on the field and be healthy. Now, again, you'll catch him out there in coverage where he looks out of place and that's not his forte, not his strength. When he's coming downhill and he's stopping the run and he's forcing the quarterback out of the pocket, he's getting sacks. That's what you use him for. Now they're probably going to have to find his replacement next year. He's on an expiring contract. So as he gets older, you want to have somebody behind him. They don't have that player yet. I know Luke Masterson is getting playing time but he's not a start in this league right now so no. you're gonna have to find someone who's gonna succeed Denzel Perryman eventually but for now for for this year he's exactly what the Raiders need in the middle of that defense yeah and and you look at now let's move to the defensive backs we saw Nate Hobbs come back you saw Amik Robertson 
uh, and and Marig, when you look at that unit over the last three weeks too, uh, they've been better in coverage. I mean, even the nice, beautiful touchdown towards the end of the game against Amik Robertson, he was in the right space. If he was four inches taller or three inches taller, he probably tips that ball and it's not a, it's not a catch uh, for Keenan Allen. So when you look at how those guys are playing um, again, not elite cornerbacks, but if you look at this team and you think about next year, when they will build on top of this, at least they're getting some depth. These guys to me, both are good. Of course, Nate Hobbs in a different league than Amik Robertson. But what are you seeing on the back end and the improvement there at cornerback and at safety through these three games and these wins? I think it's also maturation process, just the natural mm. progression of getting used to the system. I mentioned that um, earlier uh, with with the all other parts of the defense. When you have young defensive backs and they're switching to a different scheme, they have to get used to what they're doing. It just takes time. I know that's not the scientific football question everyone answer everyone's looking for but it's natural human nature if you're doing something new you're not going to pick it up within the first month or two it's going to take some time so you had to be patient with Trayvon Merrick of course Deron Harmon's been around the block so he would pick it up a lot faster he's been around schemes a lot a lot longer than these other young players as Nate Hobbs Nate Hobbs it wasn't great the first part of the season either now he came back on Sunday and he looked like a top cornerback again, but he had his struggles too at the beginning. So let's not, he didn't struggle as much as Merrick did. Mm-hmm. But like, again, when you have young players, it just, it just takes time. Again, that's not the, the football-y answer people's looking for, but that's what it is. With the talent level on the defensive side of the ball, I don't know how, especially after this three games uh, uh, streak here, I don't see how any Raider fans can be disappointed. I mean, this team at this point, if they continue on this track defensively, they're really they're playing better than the talent dictates, right? I mean, up front, they got a lot better. So that's that's about talent as well as on the edge and, and having Chandler Jones come alive. Uh, but to me, that's that's the story here is, look, you're not going to, this defense is never going to be top 10. It's not going to be top 15. Let's just call it that. But mm-hmm. what they are doing is playing better. And, and, and also, we didn't mention this yet, Mo, which is takeaways. For the first time, we're starting to see takeaways from this defense. When's the last time the Raiders had a defense that consistently had that get made turnover or created turnovers that hasn't happened in years. As I said, when I talked about Daron Harmon, he's, he's the guy that's bringing those takeaways that the yeah. Raiders haven't had. The Raiders haven't had a, a guy who's going to uh, force turnovers when the defense can't get off the field after third down. you can kind of, I don't want to say depend on Daron Harmon to do that, but he's the guy that comes up on the spot where he can force a fumble, pick up a fumble, get a pick six. He does it all. We, I mean, so we, we've seen that, over the first 13 weeks and he brings that energy. He brings that turnover mentality on that side of the ball. It's kind of like an offensive player on the defensive side of the ball almost with him. So it's good to have that for the Raiders. Uh, now who knows if he, if he's back next year, uh, it would be great to have him because the Raiders are so thin at safety right now. Uh, it would, it would be good to have him back. Cause I know they're probably going to add a player or two at the safety position for him to, you know, kind of mentor the young guys coming along that would be great because he can still play football at a high level. Apparently mm-hmm. some people were down on him coming to this year saying that he was kind of washed, but it turns out he's, he's not, he's, he's been their best defensive back this season. Yeah, no doubt. And led that young group, you know what I mean? Even through, through a lot of trials and tribulations and injuries, yep. all that sort, it means a lot to have a veteran uh, back there. Okay. We're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to switch sides. We're going to talk about offense. We're going to talk about Josh McDaniels, the play caller, the head coach, 
maybe, just maybe he's, he's learned, he's getting better. Yeah, I think so. We'll talk about that when we come back here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast, the Tuesday edition. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast talking all things Las Vegas Raiders. Subscribe if you haven't done so wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate that. Hello to you out there listening. And also hello to our YouTube audience who's watching and commenting in the corner over there on the chat, talking about how devastatingly handsome this team of men talking about the Raiders is. <laughs> yes, but only one of us uh, is single, and that is Mo, and he is open for inquiries. All right, we're back. We're talking football, and uh, we're not doing dating on the show, but here we are. Mo, I want to jump into the most maligned unit on this, and it wasn't the defense, no. The most maligned unit on this team, including from me and you, that is the offensive line, at least one side of it. We made fun of and mocked Josh McDaniels from the training camp period when he said, we're deep at offensive line. We feel good about where we're at. And then we saw the disaster that was the right side of the offensive line. And even Colton Miller wasn't playing as well as he has in the past. Suddenly, in this three, and yes, winning does cure all, but inside the winning cures all is the fact that the offensive line is playing consistently better. They're protecting Derek Carr, no sacks against the Chargers. They're producing the leading rusher in the NFL. They're, they're opening up the holes up front for Josh Jacobs to run through. What the hell is going on, Mo? One, I think continuity is good. And I've talked about I've talked about this on previous shows. Mm -hmm. Josh McDaniels has given up on the right tackle rotation. Finally, <laughs> I believe since week 10, he hasn't rotated his right tackles between uh, Jermaine Luminar and Thayer Mumford Jr. Aside from Colton Miller being out in week 11, I believe against the Denver Broncos and Luminar had to shift over to left tackle out of necessity and Thayer Mumford playing a right tackle. Of course, had to do that because of injury, but... With all players healthy on the long net offensive line, he has given up on that rotation. The top seven guys is now, again, the top five, your best five. I think that absolutely helps. Uh, I think being on the field consistently and not having to rotate in and out helps, your, especially your right tackle position. So that's number one. Uh, Dylan Parham has his moments where he'll let, you know allow some pressures or hurries or quarterback hits, but he's coming along. He's a rookie. Give him some time. Uh, I, I think as a unit, they're gelling. Just a quick note from a schematic uh, standpoint. I don't like to get too deep into some schematics because people don't delve that deep into this. But last year, the Raiders had mostly a gap run zone scheme. This mm -hmm. year, they're running a lot of man. Then I didn't even, they mix. They do run a mix of man and zone run schemes. But mostly, for the most part, it's man on man. And I think... The switch in philosophy has helped a lot of those players from the previous regime play a lot better. They fit in that system. And I think that's another reason why Ziegler and McDaniels didn't weren't quick to dump a lot of these guys because they felt like maybe if we put them in a man's a mostly man's own run scheme, maybe they'll perform a lot better. And they have to their credit. Now, again, they mix. So they've been doing both, but with mostly man, mm -hmm. this line has shown vast improvement, especially in the run game. Yeah, no question. And and I, I've been pleasantly surprised by pass protection. I mean, the pass protection against the Chargers. Now, I know the Chargers, again, missing key people up front. I understand that. But uh, the last three games, too, they've played really well. The pass blocking has been better. 
Uh, you look at the PFF grades. Yeah, they're not lighting the world on fire, but they've significantly improved. And that's what I said a couple weeks ago when you were out, buddy, was when these Raider fans were all ready to scorch the earth and 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 fire everybody, including the guy who fills the Coke machine at the facility, um, was just find positives and see if they can build positive momentum, whether they make the playoffs or not. And certainly we're seeing that. Let me ask you this, though. What you're seeing out of this offensive line, five games left. So, again, there's a lot of football to be played still. But with five games left and what you're seeing out of Mumford and Illuminor on the right side, does this at all change the need structure, what this team may do in the offseason around the offensive line if this team, if these guys on the right side continue to play like they are? And short answer, no. Let's not get carried away here. Carried away here. The Raiders' <laughs> offensive line is, is exceeding expectations, but I am yeah, yeah. not I am not comfortable to say they're set at other positions other than left tackle with Colton Miller. I would say each guy, none of those guys, none of the other four stars are a lock. Maybe Dylan Parham because they drafted him this year, and they're going to continue to probably let him grow grow at one of the guard positions. Maybe he shifts over to center if they move on from Andre James. I would mm -hmm. say he's I would say he's a lock, but I would say he's more likely going to be a starter next year. But the other three spots, still up for grabs. Jermaine Luminar is not a long-term starter at the position. Uh, let's not get that twisted. Alex Barr is not a long-term answer at Your the guy. position. Let's let's not let's not get too carried away. Is, right. is it performing better than we thought? Yes. Are they all starters? Absolutely not. Other no. than Colton Miller and and maybe Dylan Parham, who again who they drafted, who I think they expect to be a starter down the line, the other three spots should be up for grabs, and the Raiders should look to upgrade at those positions. And as solid as Munford has been, I still think too that he is a rotational guy, a backup. Yeah. Uh, in yes. this league. Now, that could change a couple of years. Maybe he develops into a starter. Who knows? But as of right now, what I've seen, Mo, I don't see him being a starter for the Raiders uh, in the next year or two. And a quick note, too, along with the offensive line progression, also you got to give credit to Jakob Johnson and Mac Hollins. Oh, huge. On Josh Jacobs' first touchdown run, you could see, I think Adam Archuleta pointed out during the broadcast, you could see Jakob Johnson still on the inside. You could see Mac Hollins on the outside, combination block. A lot of people don't see those types of plays and, you know, they don't get a tick yeah. in the box score. But along with that offensive line, it's all coming together because I know some people probably roll their eyes when Josh McDaniel says it's not just one guy blocking. It's a whole unit that has to work together for everything to work. It's true. It's, it, it's true. And you see it yeah. on some of these touchdown runs that it takes the fullback doing his job, the, the outside wide receiver getting his block on the outside, the guard pulling, the center pulling. It takes a unit, everyone pulling in the same direction to be on the same page to get these plays to spring a guy like Josh Jacobs for 100-plus yards. Yeah, and and it's uh, absolutely, and I think Jakob Johnson, uh, listen, he's like having another offensive lineman out there. And you're right, because a lot of the times he's blocking and, and, and springing uh, Josh Jacobs open in that field as he gets through the line. And you don't see it because he's usually going to be on the ground or he's hitting somebody right, <laughs> right in the melee that is a snap on a short yarded situation or a run between uh, the tackles. So, so absolutely a huge deal. So let's, let's, let's move around a little bit on the offense and then we'll finish out with talking about coach McDaniels. Uh, but Devonte Adams, I mean, look what Devonte Adams is doing. Uh, there's no, yes, Mac Hollins doing yeoman's work, doing a good job. Uh, being the other wide receiver right now. Uh, but at the same time, Devontae Adams kind of out there alone. So he's dealing with what he's dealing with. 
And this guy just continues to impress. Again, not the fastest guy, but Mo, when you look at even the catch that was overturned, one of the best catches I've seen all season long with one hand on the sideline, I think Raider fans, as much as they did appreciate the Raiders going out and trading for this guy and what he means, watching him week in, week out, it's easy to see why so many think of him as one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver in the NFL. I saw a poll last week, and a lot of people were saying, who's the best wide receiver? And it was uh, Justin Jefferson is getting all the pull now, and Tyreek yeah. Hill is getting a lot of buzz. And I was like, did, did Devontae Adams move to, to Africa? <laughs> is, he, is he on another planet? Because <laughs> just because the Rays are struggling doesn't mean Devontae Adams isn't awesome. Devontae yeah. Adams wasn't even mentioned. It was all Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson. I'm like, wait a minute here. Are we not seeing what Devontae Adams is doing? Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, we and we talked about this subject is our Devontae Adams numbers gonna tail off because he went from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. And right now he leads the NFL in touchdowns with 12. And what did I say? You probably don't remember, but what did I say on a on a on an offseason show? I said his said. receiving numbers may t- taper off because he has to share with De- uh, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. Now, he hasn't had to do that, so, of course, his numbers are up because those two guys are on the field, so that makes sense. Right. But right. I said that his touchdown numbers, I said that he will help the Raiders in the red zone. He will. He, if the Raiders need a touchdown, he's the guy to look for. His touchdown numbers are going to stay consistent. He's going to be about 14, 15 touchdowns by the end of the season. He may elapse that. He may get 18 again. I think yeah. he had 18 two years ago, led the lead with that number. He could match or maybe surpass that number depending on how if the Rays have to be in some shootouts if their defense starts to taper off again and they have to score 35, 40 points, he may get 20. Who knows? But he has 12 right now and leaves the league, and he's just he's still awesome. So if you're putting polls out there for best wide receiver, <laughs> do not forget to put Devontae Adams on the list. I know the Dolphins are a playoff team. I know the Vikings are doing great. They're a playoff team, and the Rays aren't there yet. But Devontae Adams is still the best wide receiver in the league. Okay, just putting that out there. And I'll tell you what, contested balls. Holy moly, Mo. I mean, he reminds me, I said this today on another show when I did an interview talking about the Raiders. I said, it's almost like those big, it's almost like Darren Waller, big tight ends when they go up against these smaller cornerbacks and they're able to just, all you got to do is put the ball near their hands and they're going to go up and get it because they're just so much bigger and, 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 and stronger than the cornerback. Devontae Adams is like that as a wide receiver. I really, I, I, it's, it's remarkable watching it. I didn't appreciate it as much and on this run. You've seen it a lot with the lack of weapons that the Raiders have had because of injury. It goes to show you how valuable he was. And yes, in Green Bay, he was the only, he was the only weapon that Aaron Rodgers really had. And you can see why they can win with they could win with that at the time because he's that dominating. And I think again combination of not being on a winning team at the current moment and then kind of going about it quietly because he's not to rekill where you watch him and it looks like it's a, a pinball in a pinball machine bing 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 right he just goes out there and does it uh and is so dominant and i'll tell you the other thing too the smarts on this guy if you watch him in his route running and when he when he moves and when he cuts it's remarkable. I think he's so smart of, of recognizing the defense, seeing and assessing the player at the at the line of scrimmage, and that's something that even Justin Jefferson, as much talent as he has, comes nowhere close. Right, and I think that just comes with the experience. Now, Devontae Adams has been around a lot longer than Justin Jefferson. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. Any Vikings fans who happen to be watching this, Justin Jefferson is <laughs> going to be great. I actually predict that he's going to be Offensive Player of the Year this year, and I look pretty good in that prediction right now. 
But when you talk about longevity, sustainability, and what a, a, a wide receiver has done with his body of work and what he's doing right now, Devontae Adams is still number one. Now, I was I was out during these shows, but I did I do remember a Devontae Adams quote, not a quote, but he said something along the lines of, if you're not going to throw me the ball in double coverage, what am I here for, basically? <laughs> he did. And a, and a lot of people took that as a criticism of Derek Carr because Derek Carr is the guy that has to throw in the football. Could be Josh you know, McDaniel saying, okay, this is where the football has to go, and we've talked about this. Derek Carr is going to do what the court, what the head coach asks of him. So if Josh McDaniels wants the ball to go to a specific, a specific receiver or a specific area, that's where he's going with the football. But Devontae Adams kind of had to say, look, you brought me here on this big contract to win football games and to put up big numbers. Throw me the football even when there's double coverage. I got the football. And you're seeing that with him. You said contested catches. When you throw those 50-50 balls, even when there are two guys around him, he's still coming down the football. That's the type of guy you want on the field when you pay the big bucks. When you give up those triple, triple, I was going to say triple, but nine-digit extensions, that's what you <laughs> want out of a wide receiver. And the Raiders have that Devontae Adams and this is why the Raiders are going to be a potent offense for years to come as long as they keep the nucleus together. And a lot of people are going to throw tomatoes at me and say, Derek Carr has to go. But if you're looking at Derek Carr, Devontae Adams' connection, it is clearly working. I don't think it the Raiders is. want to break that up. No, and, and we're going to save a Derek Carr conversation for later because I'm trying to have a Derek Carr free zone. Uh, <laughs> I had to do he, he played He played well against the Chargers. He's played well in these three games too. And, and I'm much more in the belief set that you've been talking about a lot online mm -hmm. with people, which is he's coming back next year. I don't think there's any question. Mm -hmm. The Raiders, the Raiders uh, are starting to see the fruits of their labor, and if they can get better in certain mm -hmm. positions, they can be p competitive real fast, which I didn't think they could be. You tried to convince me of that weeks ago, and I didn't listen to you. Uh, uh, so I'm here to tell you you were right. Uh, but also other things, too. You look at this team, Josh Jacobs, of course, having an incredible run, leads the NFL in yards. You start to look at this situation. You and I talked last week about uh, using the tag on him, perhaps at the end of the season, as a way to get some more time for this team uh, to, to perhaps sign him to a long-term contract. Here's my question, Mo. As great as he's doing, and again, this is not underappreciation for the season Josh Jacobs is having or for the talent, or do, do I believe the guy should get as much as he possibly can? I do. But here's my question. If you tag him, I think it's about 12.3 as we sit today, uh, million next season if they were to do that. Um, the market could be set by Saquon Barkley. The market for uh, him and for Barkley could be 15 or 16 million. As good as he has been, would you pay 16 million for Josh Jacobs if that's what it takes to bring him back next year? If I'm trading Darren Waller, <laughs> yes. and, and, and you have to have a balancing act here because I Correct. think you, you're, you've already paid Waller. You've already paid Hunter Renfro an extension. Derek Carr got his extension. You're going to have to get some offensive linemen, multiple. Uh, you can't pay everybody. We say this on no. the show a lot, right? You need you rookie contracts. You, you need rookie, you need a mix of rookie contracts and and players making top dollar who are playing at a at a premium. So if it if it takes 15 to 16 million, I would I would clench my teeth at it, but I would have to say somebody's gonna have to restructure something. I'll be like, hey, you guys, you, you guys want Josh Jacobs back? Somebody's gonna have to restructure their deal. Or, or you so deal all or you deal or you outright trade one of your players that are making a top dollar salary right now because yeah. 
now I don't want to speak too soon because we don't know what what the cap is going to be next year. The cap sure. is going to go up. Yeah. Uh, players, so players, so teams will have more money to play with. But as of right now, I'm saying, how could you let Josh Jacobs go after what he's been doing? Now, a lot of people, even I've said this. I was like, I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to be back. But considering what he's done over this season <laughs> and the way the Raiders' offense is operating with him in the backfield. Exactly. You cannot let that go. Just say, "Oh yeah, we're done with you." There has to. There's going to be a conversation. But like I said, the missing link to all this is, what does Josh Jacobs want? Because what if he doesn't want 15 to 16 million? What if he only wants 13 million? You know, it makes it a little easier to manage. But now, I will say this, and I've said this to you and Evan Grow, our friend over at Just Pod Baby, that as a running back, what running back do you know? Gets a second big, gets the third big contract. Well, a second never. big contract after his rookie deal. It never happens. So right. Josh Jacobs, he's probably going to be looking to get, as kids would say, get the bag this off yeah. next off season because he knows he's not going to get another shot at a big contract after this. So you're going to have to pay top dollar for Josh Jacobs, whether he takes a million off or two here or there. He's going to cost. But I think there's going to be a conversation. I don't think it's clear cut that he's gone as I thought it was this past off season. Yeah, and I, and to be honest, I if, if I would trade Darren Waller tomorrow if that meant keeping Josh Jacobs. I really would. And so I think the best thing that can happen, and I think this is what makes the Raiders nervous, Frank. I don't have any information on this. I'm just I'm just trying to be in the mind of Dave Ziegler, is that Darren Waller doesn't come back this year, right? And so his value stays kind of locked at where it's at. It's a potential value sort of thing. Whereas if he can come back, even if he played three or four games, meaning he misses another game like we think he will against the Rams, and he plays well, that's the perfect scenario for the Raiders because you then you get the value back where people thought it was, and then you can deal him. I, I really think they need to move on just because i rather keep Josh Jacobs. He means more to the team. They do need to reboot at tight end. I mean, I think Foster Moreau is fine, but we've also seen Foster Moreau gets banged up a lot and uh, did so even on Sunday. Good player, but not the breakout tight end you want. So I think you have an opportunity to save the money there. But then you also have to go out and get offensive linemen. Yes, you can address that in the draft a little bit. I think now if they can keep Jerry Tillery and they can get him for the right price, Mo, um, and then draft another interior defensive lineman or go get one in the market that's good, uh, boy, this defense up front suddenly could have the makings of a very special unit. Definitely, and that's what Raider fans have been waiting for. I'm sure that's what Derek Carr has been waiting for. He hasn't had, I'm going to repeat this, he hasn't had a, de- a scoring defense better than 20th his entire career. Yeah. Can you believe that? He hasn't had a defense oh, ranked sure, inside the top 20. Oh, just make excuses for him, you yeah, car stand. You know, yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm, I'm a car stand today making excuses, but uh, I will say that you have a better football team if you have a better defense. I'm not saying absolutely. Derek Carr is going to win a Super Bowl with a top 15 defense, but you, you're definitely going to have better results if your defense can carry offense when your offense is not at its best. So, yes, I believe – I, I think you're going to – Raiders, Dave Ziegler, if I'm Dave Ziegler, I'm investing a lot of draft and, and cap room capital into the defense. I know people are still buzzing about, oh, we should get a quarterback early. I, I, I think when you look at the offense, the way it's operating, especially if you're going to keep Josh Jacobs – you pour a lot of money into that defense and you say, look, we're going to, we're going to invest in that side of the ball and hope that we have a complimentary team where our offensive defense are both on equal level. And maybe you have a top 10 scoring offense and defense, and it gives you a better chance to win the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Yes. 
Yes and yes and yes. So we'll see what they do. And uh, But Josh Jacobs having just a special year. And, of course, there's that side of me that's like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. And then next year he'll come back, and then he's injured after two games. <laughs> oh, that's the ri- that's that. the ri- No, I don't want that to happen, you know, knock on wood. I'm just saying <laughs> – you sign guys to big contracts like they did this season, like Darren Waller, and suddenly uh, they're not available, and that's the worst case scenario. Hey, look, you could have a special year and never, you know, and never reach that level again, but still be a very good player and worth every cent. Uh, but what you want is just guys available. So we'll have to see what happens. All right, we're up against time now. That means the show is time to close out. Uh, Mo, we're going to be back um, on Wednesday, Thursday. So Thursday, of course, the game Thursday. So we're going to have a live post game show. And Mo will be on the postgame show with Murph and I. For the first time in weeks, I'll be back on the postgame show. You get to see this face after a Raider win or loss or tie. We're hoping it's a win. Yes. But I'll be there with Murph and Scott after this, after the game. Yeah, and we will on Wednesday. We still haven't decided what we're going to do. We usually do our mailbag show. But what we may do because of the weird week and the, and the timing we may do a combination show. We may do a show where either on Wednesday or Thursday morning, so you have something to listen to before uh, the game on Thursday, so you'll listen to us twice in one day. Oh, who could have thought? Um, we may do like a preview show along with some mail. So stay tuned on that one, Wednesday or Thursday, and then, of course, Thursday night after the game. Mo, my man, it's so great to have you back still uh, after a couple weeks off and you back now for a couple of weeks. I think people are excited. Uh, people are, are not screaming at you yet. There has been no date offers yet. I think that's because, you know, you were getting better. I want, they, want, they want a fully healthy and robust young buck ready to go before they start inviting you out again. I'm still recovering, so uh, I'm, I'm about ninety. I'm about ninety-five percent. So let, let's let's oh. let's tamper down the offers. I, I still yeah. need a week before I'm one hundred percent, but I'm I'm just about there. If I was on an injury report, I would be probable right now. Probable. All right. Now, it, are you not wearing the Brooklyn hat because you're tired of people not understanding that it's just a Brooklyn hat? Here's the story with the hat. Right. Whenever I don't get a fade, I wear. A hat. Yeah, you wear a hat. Okay. Uh, if 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 I can't get to the barbershop or if I can't get my my you know my low fade for some for some reason, then I throw on the Brooklyn hat, not the Brooklyn Nets hat that people yeah. think it is, but the Brooklyn hat. And I was able to get a fade last week, so no one has to ask me, are you repping the Brooklyn Nets when you're a Knicks fan? <laughs> no, I am not. I am just repping my borough. That's it. Not a I... basketball team, not a sports team, just where I live. I just want the natural back. I want your big. Na- I want. I want. I, just, I want you to like. I want you to have to zoom out so because your hair has gotten big enough. No, Never you won't happen. do that for me. That's not you. Never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. <laughs> maybe I'll get the Mac Collins and I'll get some corn rolls. Maybe oh, by the time, there you go. Maybe maybe in the summertime I'll just I'll just pop up on the show with some corn rolls just to throw people. You, you know what's amazing to me in the NFL? It, it really is a, a trend over the last I'd say maybe five years, and I'm trying to think who started it. Maybe it was one of the guys in Seattle. But the the dreads, man, they're like everywhere now. Der- I mean, you've seen Derrick Henry's whatever that is. It's kind of like one big dreadlock. Um, but the dreads, like when I was younger going back to the 80s or 90s like when i lived in southern california right the beach we had a lot of folks into the rastafarian culture and all that stuff so you saw them everywhere including white dudes right which still looks weird to me but anyway um they had them now in the nfl how many guys have dreads or braids they're like huge and they're sticking out and people can and they can get grabbed like it's part of the uniform technically 
you know what I think? This here, here's my theory about it. I, I think guys are just, you know, it's, I won't say it's work to get to the barbershop, but especially if you're a player <laughs> who's going from roster to roster, you go to a new city, you got to find a new barber. Yeah, and I, I know this. There's a trust factor. Like you oh, go to yeah. a barber, you want to go to the same barber all the time. You don't want yes. to have to go to 15 different barbers. You want to go to the same person. So that that kind of eliminates that where you just have the same person do your hair and that's it. It's done. In fact, I no, I 100% agree. You find your person and you go if it's a guy, gal, whoever it is, right? For me too, I have a guy here, right, in Cincinnati. And then my son who's in school in Las Vegas at UNLV he will not get his haircut except for the guy here. So he'll go, like, he just came in for Thanksgiving and he hadn't had his haircut in five months because he won't let anybody else cut it. And he got off the plane. I'm like, holy crap, you look like you uh, just woke up sleeping on the street. But again, there you go. <laughs> Trust factor. You got, hey, you, you, you find somebody who knows exactly how to dial in the hair you want and you go to them. So that's a good, that's a good call. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're growing it out. Uh, but of course, it also is fashion, right? Fashion. Everybody's got their styles going around and people adopt them very quickly. All right. Our style is to leave right now. So we're going to do that <laughs> and we will be back on Thursday or Wednesday. We'll decide, but you're going to get two more shows out of us this week. At least make sure you tune in uh, on those days. And also Thursdays. just go like our page on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. Also check us out, Twitter SNB today. We'll update you there on show times and when we're coming along, make sure you follow Mo, read his stuff up on Bleacher Report. And of course on sportsnot.com, M-O-E-M-O-T-U-N. That's Mo Moten. I am at LV Gully on Twitter. We appreciate it. Mo, my friend, we'll talk to you next time. Also, if you're still celebrating a Raider victory, have some barbecue chicken in Keenan Allen's honor. <laughs> if you don't know that reference, please put it, poke oh. it into Twitter, put it into Google. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Have some barbecue chicken just for Keenan Allen. There were some great memes on the internet the past few days with somebody had barbecue chicken on a grill and then they they photoshopped his face, Keenan Allen's face on every yes. piece of chicken. Yes. Oh my gosh, it was good. That was good time. All right, brother, take care. All right, we're gonna step. We're gonna say goodbye. Step aside. We're gonna say goodbye for this show. We appreciate you guys being there. Thank you for subscribing. For our producer, David Stepani, and for Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbranson. This has been Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take care. Have a great week, everybody.